This Magic the Gathering podcast and many more can be heard online at manadeprived.com slash podcasts. Leave a comment and tell us what you think. Michael J. Flores. So, um, I forgot about this article for a long time. It's uh, actually one of my favorite articles, and I I saw it in a list, and I'd forgotten I'd written it. And it's from 2010. Okay. So, this is actually from before I went to TCG Player, and I think I wasn't writing for anyone other than Mothership at the time. Okay. Although I don't remember. Uh, It's called How to Think About Magic. So, it starts... With this question I asked Zvi Moshowitz in 1990. So, what are your interests outside of magic? Zvi's answer was, um, thinking about magic? (laughs) So, this is how it goes. I read an interview uh, that Mark Rosewater did with Teddy Card Game Knutson and decided to write this article, which is a bit of a change of pace for this column. Oh, the column was top deck, which is basically just, you know, top eight decks. Mm-hmm. So this week, we'll probably talk, so I'm sorry, so next week, we'll probably talk about Hall of Famers, Wielding Goblin Guides, plus Survival of the Fittest, and Survival of the Fittest. But this week, we'll reveal the answers to all kinds of questions that I get asked all the time. One last thing before we begin, I've written, read, reread, and rewritten this article four times at this point. Only now do I realize, though, I knew at all times but I wasn't using all of my notes, that I was only submitting a portion, totality, of how I think about magic. I didn't put in all the stuff about how the line between my magic friends and friends blurred as I reached adulthood, about how giving and giving leads to more getting. Nor did I write about never settling, constantly striving for self-improvement, or how each of us is, at least partially, driven by a need for significance, and how all those things intersect and even direct my relationship with magic. Instead, I guess this stuff is mostly about how I think about strategy, card selection, making decks, choosing decks, and advising my bullets and apprentices. Just so you know, while you're reading, you're like a bullet slash apprentice. You've uh, you've (laughs) graduated to that. I hope you love it. All right, so this is the first one. You want to read the, the header? Sure. People don't actually want to buy products. Yes, they do. No, actually, they don't. Trust me. I hella want to buy all kinds of stuff. No, you actually don't. If you have a girlfriend or wife or whatever, she might like shopping. She might want to fill her closet with innumerable iterations of little black shoes that you can't tell apart from one another. Trust me, she probably feels the same way about your magic cards. Or perhaps duvet covers. I know. What is a duvet anyway? But people don't actually want to buy products. What they want is to either have a particular experience or solve a particular problem. You know who needs to buy a drill? Someone in the market for making holes. Think about that for a second. Don't focus on the drill. Focus on the holes. What does this have to do with competitive Magic the Gathering? This is the essence of how to, or rather, how I think about Magic the Gathering. Everything else emanates from this. Don't focus on the drill. 
focus on the holes. In theory, if the need is holes, you can get there all different ways. You can ram pencils into the wall, hire a crack team of trained termites, or I don't know, pay someone else to think about it. A drill is just the most obvious, even lazy, route to the holes, so most everyone defaults to the drill. A lot of the time, people are all worried about buying the biggest, fanciest, shiniest drill. Whatever the drill. Whatever the damn drill. It is important to stay aware. The drill is not what we are about. Don't focus on the drill. Don't be married to any particular drill. The drill, for that matter, a drill, might not be the best answer. Especially when everyone else is thinking, Drill. (laughs) How do I use this skill in Magic the Gathering, you might ask? I once started off ahead of the curve by playing main deck Rebel Enforcer. I'm sorry, Rebel Informer. To beat Rebel Stacks, Rebel Informer theoretically gave me a way to demolish many Rebels for one card, even zero cards. Some people sideboarded this card. It became, for some, a proxy for Trump. So, quick note on Rebel Informer, it's two and a black for a one-two. It can't be the target of uh, white spells or abilities, and you can pay three mana to put target Rebel card on the bottom of its owner's library. Yeah, so if you get this card into play and your opponent's creature type is only Rebels, you can just, for every three mana, you can just bury one of their creatures. to the bottom of their library and so if they can't remove it most rebel decks were either white green or mono white uh, okay they couldn't remove so it's it. like the trump doll yeah all you the just rebels. get it into play and then you just bury all the rebels right yeah. so so i started this card right so i was very clever i started this card however the real trump card was maget of the lion maget of the lion is a a five casting cost three three uh it's white white to discard two cards from your hand cast wrath of god basically you can do it okay. at instant speed hmm. This guy killed a lot of rebels, as well as angels, select idols, etc. Over time, especially after I killed some of my opponent's rebel informers with the mighty Maget of the Lion, I realized that playing both cards was ultimately counterproductive. I would watch other people play their rebel decks against each other and work so hard to gain a mana advantage to be the winner of the almighty rebel informer fight. I realized that the holes was killing rebels, not being the more potent rebel informer player. So I shifted focus eventually to being the best Maget of the Lion player instead, killing rebels and informers rather than rebels and my own informers. This was especially satisfying in games where the opponent would spend all kinds of time and mana getting card advantage with his rebel informer over my rebels. And once you figured out what was going on, it was like watching a starving Dalmatian chase after scraps thrown down a dark alley leading to the back of Cruella de Vil, waiting limousine trunk. He would do whatever you wanted, run wherever you wanted, would be happy to. Run, doggy, run. So uh, just a lesson on that. So I started playing Rebel Informer, even main deck. People copied me after like the first week of the PTQ, maybe second week of the PTQ. So these fights just became all about Rebel Informer. Mm -hmm. I figured out that like the guy who just wraths kills Rebel Informer, right? But when you kill Rebel Informer, you also kill all the rebels, right? So (laughs) just go to the graveyard. So you're like taking one step ahead to like figure out. Well, they spend their entire deck to get a Rebel Advantage. Using Rebel Informer, they just kill it. And then like all the creatures are dead. And then there's just nothing they can do. So it's basically like solving one step ahead of like the metagame. It was like problem one was the rebel decks. Yeah. Then you then it's rebel informer beats that. Then people adapt to that strategy. And then how do you you know adapt to that? Yeah. Yeah. So what ended up happening? I mean, I was I think that through that throughout that entire like I was this was 17 years ago now, but I would just with with no undue hubris say that I was probably the best regarded deck designer in the world at this format of um, this particular format, which was mask block constructed mm-hmm. um uh i actually never qualified uh that really? season but i made top eight every week sometimes twice 
And I only lost one way, which I was, I just got mana screwed in like the final. I got mana screwed in top eight, top four, or top two every week. Wow. Like, and I had like a demonstrable advantage and like on deck selection, but the, the legend rules were different back then. Mm. So I just get stuck on four, my, and I'd have like four Megiddo the Lions because I knew that that was what it was about. And my opponent had two Megiddo the Lions, and I just got stuck on four. They'd land theirs, and I, but then I actually figured out how to win the Megiddo the Lion fights after you weren't, you, you, you got mana screwed and stuff, but. There's still tempo. You just lost to damage yeah. at some point. But yeah, that was the worst because um, I was famous for making top eight and, and not winning, unfortunately. <laughs> it was actually uh, one of the things I learned at, at that point. I didn't know that you could look up your rating on DCI.com back then or whatever the Planeswalker points site now. If I had known, I just would have stopped playing. Like My rating was so insane from making top eight over and over again. There was ratings-based invitations back then. Yeah, it's yeah. not Planeswalker points like it's now. So... What ended up happening is you'd make top eight, lose 20 points or something. It's like, I gained like three points for winning because my rating's really high, and then like lose 20 points for losing. So mm. if you lose in top eight, it's pretty bad. Anyway, um, yeah, it was a, that was an important thing to have learned. Um, so if you, so this contextualizing this to the modern day, the modern day being 10 years after this, but still eight years removed from where we are right now. <laughs> <laughs> modern implementations might be aligning internally counterproductive two white-white cards that are both good against elves. I don't understand decks that play both Linvala Keeper of Silence and Day of Judgment. Linvala Keeper of Silence can be very good against small utility creatures, Day of Judgment, and the absence of an Eldrazi Monument is typically better. Sometimes they can make enough little guys to overwhelm your 1-3-4. Then you have to Day of Judgment. Get away. Or maybe Linvala is right slash better, at least in your build. But I have some experience looking at the confused faces of players who play one, draw the other. You know what I mean? Either way, holes not drill. So for those who don't know, Linvala Keeper of Silence is one of the dumbest cards that's ever been printed. It's uh, two white-white, so four total mana for a 3-4 flying legend angel. And it has the ability, activated abilities of creatures your opponent's control can't be activated. Typically, the, the text on those kind of cards is other than mana abilities. <laughs> this also shuts down mana abilities. So... It's, like, incredibly one-sided. Mm-hmm. The thing that's weird is people would just have the Linvala in play, which would, in the matchups that it mattered, they would have a huge advantage because they were just all about utility creatures like Fauna Shamans and Knight of the Reliquary and stuff like that. And then so they're turning off the opponent's entire thing. They just draw Wrath, and they're like, well, I'm supposed to Wrath away my own Linvala. It's mm-hmm. giving me all the advantage. But sometimes it was right because like the opponent would have to just dump their whole hand. It's the only way they can get past the Linvala. It was weird, man. So lesson learned from all of that. Holes... Not Holes not drill. Holes not drill. Yeah. All right. Uh, second one. Strike while the iron is hot. I got married in 2002 after knowing my wife-to-be for exactly six months to the day. Previous to this, for most of 2001, I was having the best dating year of my life. Stupid falling in love with my dream girl totally spoiled all the fun. However, previous to that, for most of 2000, I was dropping the ball on account of just playing Magic nonstop and making Pro Tour qualifier top eights. I'd meet someone, often under fabulous, exciting, or unlikely circumstances, get a number, chat name, email address, or whatever, and follow up with her at some point, weeks to months in the future. Maybe, if there wasn't a tournament. How could I possibly ask for a date this Saturday? There was a PTQ in Philadelphia I had to hit with PJ Ravitz and Magellan. And then, I'd have to run it back in Maryland the next day, provided I didn't qualify. By the way, I didn't qualify. (laughs) Unsurprisingly, this was a terrible dating strategy (laughs) at the time. What's-her-name didn't even remember who I was. Me. Me! 
despite the fact that we met in such a fabulous, exciting, unlikely way. It had been, if you recall, weeks or months. Seems pretty obvious, right? So members various of the female cadre I hung out with back then all told me the same thing. You have to strike while the iron is hot. I know you've all written that down now. In order to someday have myself attached to a partner who will attempt to fill the closet with seemingly indistinguishable black flats, pumps, and heels, I need to... Mm, is there something about heavy metal? Don't worry, you'll get it. For now, let's focus on how you can use this principle to mise in Magic the Gathering. I think the notion of mastering a particular deck or strategy and sticking with it is generally overrated. Value for decks changes over time. Opportunity comes and goes. Today's innovative is tomorrow's yesterday's news. The metagame shifts. New ideas that are just much better than exciting ideas appear present an undeniable edge and then go away. Here's a hint. You want to take it while you can. Strike while the iron is hot. One of the most famous stories in Magic is around the development of the Memory Jar combo deck. Randy Bueller was at the time the road warrior of Magic and innovator of the travel to Europe and make top eight of every Grand Prix strategy. He and his playtest partner Eric Lauer, in the midst of a format that was dominated by a different combo deck, discovered the Memory Jar Megram deck. It was so good... Eric grabbed a last-minute flight to a faraway GP. Both players made bait. Weeks later, in unprecedented fashion, Memory Jar was banned in the middle of the PTQ season, seemingly just moments after the combination was discovered. But remember, when they had it, both players made top eight. The best decks in a format, let's say a PTQ format, which typically lasts for a period of weeks or months, almost always starts off as a templated archetype deck or rogue deck that appears while things are already in motion. Then around the middle of the season, it redefines the whole format, and by the end of the season, dozens of unsuccessful crew grinders are complaining about how Patrick Chapin slash Jerry Thompson slash Peppermint Von Corduroy ruined the format. And then we start up a new format, and a new different deck rises a few weeks in, rinse, repeat. Ultimately. You want to either be the guy who is redefining the format with the unbeatable new deck, like Jerry Thompson did with Dark Depths Thopter and Extended last year, or you want to figure out the deck that beats the newly defined metagame much later in the season. But as with dating, success goes hand-in-hand with timing. You want to get the timing right. You want to strike while the iron is hot. So why don't people do this, slash do this right, slash do this more often, slash whatever? Usually it's because they are frightened. They are afraid to make a change or afraid of looking foolish. But usually they just haven't thought about the situation enough. But if you want to become the legend, you have to follow. I'm not saying buy the last minute plane ticket like Lauer did. Though it worked out for him, and now that I think of it, Andre Coimbra in the same situation. But if you really have a deck that's good, You might want to think about it. Still, the best ever story about not slavishly sticking to a deck slash strategy, but rather doing the right thing when the opportunity presented itself. So what happens if I don't win with currently unproven upcoming rogue deck X? You won't win the tournament. That will suck. Interestingly, it's the exact same result you'll get with your outdated deck if you don't go at all. See what I did there? Strike while the iron's hot. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Don't major in minor things. 
I have been at this for about 15 years now. It may, it's like 25 years now <laughs> at this point. No. In order to properly contextualize this section, I'm going to quote my 1995 self in the first known piece of Mike Flora's magic writing, as unearthed by my old righteous babe teammate, John Schuler, for his introduction to Decade. You want to read this section? It's, the, it's ancient Michael J., so you, you could be ancient, ancient Michael, Michael J. Ancient Michael J. Flores. Okay. So re-white red deck. Originally posted on February 1st, 1995. I also use white-red combo. I also use Acacian money changers. However, you are minimizing their effectiveness by not using circle of protection white. Why not add three more life profit? I think it is suicide to have so many weenie whites and so few red cards. Beef up red with four orcish artillery. Add circle of protection red to compensate. Bring your direct damage spells up to max. Four lightning bolt, fireball, disintegrate. Cut all the rest of your creatures. I guarantee you will thank me. <laughs> and some rod of ruins if possible. You might also revise your white spells. While disenchant is good, I really like divine offering. It's not as versatile, but it adds life. Oh, I forgot add Icacian javelineers. Finally, it is essential that you have a sort of balance between colors. Only six red mana is suicide in a deck this large. If you are feeling adventuresome, some castles uh, are a good idea to keep your white weenies alive against Tim et al. Don't even bother looking up any of those cards. Most of them are constructed unplayable. Okay. What, what's the point of this This little uh, interlude? Like, occasion, all right, so I guess we'll have the occasion money change deck. This guy was... Um, occasion money change? Yeah, he was uh, like a... It's a horrible guy. Like, I think he, like, damaged you, uh, but so you would use um, Circle of Protection White to protect against the damage your own guy did to you. And then there was Orcish Artillery's okay, right? He's a 2-3 creature for 3, taps to deal 2, but it's a 3 to you. So you add Circle of Protection Red to protect you oh, from your own from guy. Your own orcish. Okay. Yeah, so that was, that was my tech. Play, like, both kinds of Circle of Protection of your own colors because your own guys are hurting you. By the way, you would win a lot of random games because the opponent would just be a red deck and you just have, like, main deck circle protection red. Pretty awesome, actually. But it, this, was not a, this is not good deck advice. Can't believe that you gave that kid that this deck advice from Francisco. How old were you in 1995? That's when I was born. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Before reading this section, it might not have surprised you that about half the interactions I have with the community today can be boiled down to... Can you make my rusty tin can competitive with that there Star Destroyer? Which should be shocking, given the fact that I made my first mark on magic instruction by helping someone with his deck. By telling him to play with Orcish Artillery plus Circle Protection Red and Vacation Money Changer plus Circle Protection White, I guaranteed thanks, while suggesting Rod of Ruin. Which will hopefully soften the next bit. Many, even most ideas that players have are just pointless for competitive constructed, including most of my ideas, and those of many and most top deck designers. Time is the most valuable thing we have. I haven't had a week where I got eight hours of sleep every night in over six years. I don't get eight hours of sleep a single night on the average week now. In our world of Google Instant and Broadbat Internet, wasting someone's time is about the worst thing you can do. And I, all of us, still end up wasting time on bad decks. But I at least have some guidelines that help me cull away most of them. How can you tell the difference? It actually comes down to holes versus drills again. 
Most of the ideas that are flat out bad are simply inferior takes on existing decks. Imagine you had the opportunity to play your red beatdown deck with four copies of Suk Autolancer, but you replace them with Grey Ogre. You wouldn't need to playtest to know that Grey Ogre version would perform not as well in essentially every competitive constructed situation. My first rule is to never, ever think about a deck that, can, that I can put into this category. Another thing that I try really hard to avoid is to work really, really hard on the third best strategy. And oftentimes, the third best idea requires the first most amount of work to get going. Ultimately, how do you prioritize? I try to err on how much am I getting out of my mana. But different designers have different bases. While I am never going to end up with the same 75 in front of me that Zvi Moshowitz will independently, I think we share a respect for tempo, speed, and mana versus just big, impressive possibilities. One of the most influential articles I ever wrote was about how, even when we move closely towards our goals, we can fall short. So in that spirit, if you're going to fail, fail brilliantly. Hey, do you know an article about when you, you could fall short? Is it how to win a PT? It is how, how to win a PT. <laughs> I try to build the best holes I can. The biggest holes. The deepest holes. The most holes in the shortest period of time. Don't settle for just thinking about one good hole, or you will too often find yourself the master of a mediocre grill. All right, next we have no long-term alliances or allegiances. <laughs> Burn. <laughs> <Man>. <laughs> I'm, feeling, I'm feeling pretty hypocritical on this one. <laughs> Around 14 years ago, I became enamored with blue-white decks. I read a piece by Robert Hahn on the Weissman deck, and like so many young mages, was mesmerized by the sheer difference of the fortress defensive strategy, my realm of possibilities at the time went no more exotic than the hyper-redundant Ice Storm-enabled land destruction deck. I think a lot of players at the time fell in love the same way. More, some of them, maybe me too, to an extent, missed the point completely. Weissman's deck was creature-poor, not creature-less. Part of the genius of the original design was that it actually eventually killed with creatures, making creature elimination cards clunky but not completely useless, thereby making strategic and sideboarding decisions complicated frustrating and inefficient for the opponent but the perceived sophistication of the blue white deck relative to regular decks became translated to creatures are bad or creatures are crude or something like that it was no longer about the dragging inefficiency we could tax the opponent with or the clear and present card advantage that a creatureless deck could force but a kind of blinding purity which was even more limiting given that necropotence decks were actually better but as I said, like many at the time, I was all over the blue-white, thought the blue-white was the best, thought I was better and smarter than everyone else because I was piloting a complicated and challenging white-blue deck rather than some simple beat-down deck. I would try to make all different white-blue decks in all different formats, millstone decks, circle protection green decks, and helm of obedience decks ported to Ice Age alliances. But you know what? The night before my third ever Pro Tour qualifier. I just wasn't winning with my white-blue deck. I made the first stark, allegianceless decision of a long line of faithless deck desertion. I jumped into the Necropotence camp, and 24 hours later, I had my first blue envelope. But that's it? Well, not quite. If someone says to you, play the best deck, you kind of know what you should be playing the best deck. But it goes beyond that. It is about not minoring in major things. It is about not slaving yourself to any one idea or color. I am a control player, or I am a red mage. 
are just prison shackles masquerading as five-word sentences. It isn't even about growth, though it is about It's mostly about not confining yourself to one idea or identity in the context of a game of millions of possibilities. Really, you're bigger and better than me. But we play Burn and Modern. Let's finish the article. We got to go to FNM. So let's all finish right, the right, article. Right. And then if we have time, you can criticize me. Okay. okay. All right. Next one. We build for one tournament. One all in caps. One of the biggest misconceptions that predominantly small minds make is to confuse the long-term Magic Online longevity of a deck with how good the deck was for the tournament in which it was intended to be played certainly sustained success over the course of a PTQ season or over the course of many, many Magic Online queues can be an indicator of a deck's strength. When I expressed my opinion that Jerry Thompson was the best deck designer in the world last year, it was largely on the continued success of the hybrid combination that he put on the map. But the truth is, we build for one tournament. If we get that tournament right, it is completely irrelevant if the deck continues to perform in the future. Do we get it wrong? Often. That isn't the point at all. If you want to become an elite deck designer, I think it is the attitude you have to have. It's almost like golf. Don't play for the score, play for the shot. Look at how a deck like Naya Lightsaber put all these things together. One, holes not drill. The format at the time, which was pre-Jace the Mind Sculptor, under the long shadow of Jund, was a format largely defined by card power. Jund's overwhelming strength came from uh, its relentless card quality. Putrid Leech was so strong. It almost invalidated other two drops. Blight, Bloodbraid Elf, simply the best cards in the format. The Tuminous Blast was explosive. Many good deck designers focused on making the best Jun deck. How can we build Jun to beat Jun? Or they attempted decks that, percentage-wise, were simply effective anti-Jun decks. Which is not to say that any of those might not have been relatively successful strategies. I mean, just playing a good old Jun might have been fine. But the route we took with Naya Lightsaber was to focus on holes. What is the goal? What do we want in life? To play the best cards, to get the most out of our mana, to present the most potent threats. In fact, Naya Lightsaber did a better job of that than Jund. Two, strike while the iron is hot. Naya Lightsaber was, in some ways, a deck of opportunity. Patrick Chapin pointed out that part of its success was that Day of Judgment decks underperformed against decks like Sprouting Crinax. Even beyond the card power of Naya, which was exclusive of Lightning Stronger than the card power of Jund, the value of Naya came in part from the shape of the rest of the metagame. Three, don't major in minor things. This was a deck that I really thought was the best. Not good, the best. Andre Coimbra was not even planning to attend the World Championships, busy with work. But the week of the tournament, I told him I was 100% sure this was the best deck, which influenced his last-minute decision to go. You know. Go and become the world champion. Four, no long-term alliances or allegiances. It's not like I was sitting around brainstorming different Naya builds. At the time, I was much more enamored of the card's Blightning and um, Borderland. But I embraced the successful efforts of previous designers like Brian Kowal, Ben Rubin, and Tomohiro Saito, embracing all kinds of stuff that I wouldn't have thought of all by my lonesome. The result? Five, we build for one tournament. By the next Pro Tour, Naya looked completely different. It was the best again, but Tom Ross's deck went and ignored all the things my deck stood for and probably ended up better for them. Hunting Spark Mage plus Basilisk Collar made its Under the Spotlight debut, and Boss Naya and Stoneforge Mystic replaced my venerable Baneslayer Angels. Tom added Terraformorphic Expanse, 
of all things to a deck full of one-drops. Any and everything changed, and for the better. Be results-oriented. Being results-oriented gets a bad rap from Magic players, something they have inherited, I think, from poker players. Players vilify being results-oriented when they see players, often who have made a mistake, try to justify what they did with the old, it was right because I won, when it wasn't. I think that is a misuse of the term. What I think you want to do is state your goal, often in an actual sense, and do everything you can to move towards it. Results orientation in this case is not about falling back and justifying doing something wrong, but in fact to set a target and move forward. I would echo the idea that we so often fall short. So set challenging, if still achievable, goals. And when you fall short, you will often find yourself in a very satisfying place at the end of the process. If you can't measure it, it doesn't exist. This last point is a practice I use in playtesting, but can also be a useful principle for everything you do. If there is something worth your time, your most valuable and real resource, it is worth measuring how you do. How you measure is going to be closely linked with what, you fo- with what your focus is and what it is you are working on and trying to improve. Here are two ways that I measure magic results in different contexts. For known or sustained formats, I play a lot of magic online cues, usually one-on-one I keep a spreadsheet in Google Docs that records the deck I played, the deck I played against, whether I won or lost, and my points delta. That way, after many repetitions, I can see which deck, at least which deck among the ones I tried, had positive expectation, and by what degree before I finalize my deck for the PTQ ever tournament. When working on new decks, I try to set up a gauntlet of three to five most expected decks. I make special effort to do no customization or innovation whatsoever in the gauntlet decks. I try my deck against all the expected decks and record the win-loss records. Did I do great against the most popular decks? How bad were my bad matchups? I use the same process to test sideboard games, especially in the tough matchups. I can require more sideboard slots. It is important to understand win percentage rather than just win-loss, because that will inform your deck choice based on predicted individual deck popularity, plus, where justified, how much sideboard room you can afford for each individual match. So to answer... Your many, many questions, that is, at least a lot of, how I think about magic. It's a good one. I think when I, so I read this article um, actually a couple days ago. I did my homework this time. You did, you you did the preparation work? My preparation work. So I send, uh, when when I have an idea for an article we want to do, I, I typically send it to Roman ahead of time, and he typically doesn't read it, I guess. So it's a special occasion. Yeah, I mean, I, I looked over, but I, I started reading it. I, I read the whole, the whole thing. Um, oh, so you read the whole thing? Yeah. <laughs> so, norm, so normally, if you read it, you just maybe read like this the, the title. Yeah. You're like, oh, this week we're doing how to win a pizza cube. I like I like the element of surprise and thinking on the spot on the ancestral recall podcast. Yeah. Um, this one I read. Um, and the the one thing I wanted to sort of talk about it seems kind of like the magnum opus of a bunch of different. Michael J. Articles. So you're saying I peaked eight years ago? <laughs> like, now that I'm just like no. a, I'm like a, a a butterfly cocoon blowing around. Like I bur- like I was a gross worm. I birthed this thing that a short life. You know, just died in the springtime, and the the husk of is the, is the that's the version of me that's doing this podcast, <laughs> just bouncing against the wall with the way the wind blows. It's kind of true. <laughs> Um, but it is sort of like a collection of all of the kind of major points you talk about in your articles. Like a lot of the 
the rogue strategy. I always forgot the name. Going rogue. Rogue strategy. Rogue strategies, yeah. as you can see in this, kind of when PTQ, the idea of like falling short, like maybe put, putting yourself in the the top, the top right. Yeah. Uh, what, what's, what's it called? Oh, a justice. That one. The justice yeah. article. Putting yourself in the the, you know, highest percentage to win and making the correct choice, making making the the decisions that will get you there. The, I mean, I we haven't actually done any any of the quantitative deck decision articles there's no. like a, a fair number of articles i did they were about like look they're actual percentages it's there, there's empirically better decks to pick than others right like people yeah. are like oh I, I went with this for some reason that actually has it's not a justifiable reason we kind of said it implied it without utilizing the math and we said uh, a lot of people just pick the third best deck and you can tell it's the third best deck because it just does the same thing as the best deck but worse you know mm-hmm. people people do that a lot uh, in in some forms. they just pick like uh, like if you're just doing, um, so there's like let's say there's two solitaire decks in a format, and one of them wins on turn two, and one of them wins on turn four. Like, why would you pick the solitaire deck that wins on turn four? It's they're both they're just solitaire decks, right? Neither one of them is better interacting with the opponent. You have to win fast, right? Like that's the yeah. This is like an interesting thing that um not to put, not to poke fun at my friend, but I have one friend that loves. Grixis cards and standard and loves like Colossus and stuff. Interestingly, I have a very good friend who I do a different podcast with who loves Grixis cards too. <laughs> you like always swing back to Grixis. Um, but I, I did tell you, uh, like maybe three weeks ago, this friend who will remain nameless, although he's a member of the Pro Tour Hall of Fame, was said to, to play Black Blue Control <laughs> with the Scarab God. Yeah. In that, in that last weekend, what won the Grand Prix in Europe? Just the. Well, literally Black Blue, Blue Control, Lighter. the Scarab God. And I, we, we talked about this deck. And he said it was uh, fifty-eight sixty. Uh, what he would have played, and only because he didn't think of flying tendrils. Flying tendrils was perfect. He wished he thought that he thought that deck was perfect. Um, mm-hmm. I actually thought the mana base was not perfect, and then he started making specific changes. I would have made the mana mm-hmm. base. Like, actually, you're correct. This is not. But it was very close. Anyway, yeah. So back to my my one your friend, friend loves Grixis. Like my friend does too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, like specifically the Grixis Colossus decks in Standard, they're not really a thing anymore. But um, when we were talking about like deck choices, he he was like showing me different lists and trying to you know pitch this idea to me. And I said, well, why don't you just play a ramp deck instead? Like these these decks are doing pretty much the same thing, but your your deck is a, a lot more susceptible to, to hate cards and artifact destruction. Um, like why, instead of playing you know Colossus, why don't you just play like Ulamog? Like the 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 ramp deck, uh, there was one list uh, specifically that that Land showed me that ended up winning one of the RPTQ that I went to, and I showed him that green, list. Green like, red ramp, yeah, the green yeah. red and with like cut to ribbons, Kozlek's return. Uh, yeah, Land and that other guy both played the same seventy five. Yeah, yeah. Qualified one, one qualified and, and, yeah, <laughs> and went like one and three. <laughs> uh, but that like he was just playing, you know, and I know his like his love for his cards and like Tezzeret as a character and whatnot. But that's a holes not drill, right? Like he actually loves the holes, but he's confused because he's like, I really like red, black, and blue drills. When, yeah. he, when he actually wants to make a giant hole, right? Like yeah. he's like, oh, well, Colossus is the biggest hole I can make. So I'm gonna make, I'm gonna use this drill to get to Colossus. Not identifying correctly that like Ulamog or even Kozilek are, <laughs> are bigger yeah. holes than. But Colossus. I think I, I convinced him on, you know, you could be playing this deck. They, the decks do the same thing pretty much, but this one is better. Yeah. Um, Zvimashwitz uh, convinced me, I want to say like more than 10 years ago now, uh, to just never play The Rock. Really? What, yeah, I won the. I personally won the first extended PTQ with The Rock. So, uh, ne- so ne- never play The Rock never play in the anything? Rock. Never play The Rock in any format. 
And that when you play The Rock, it's a testament to not wanting to win. Because that, that, that includes, like, Abzan. Yeah. Like, so, Abzan, Jund, and Modern. Abzan, Jund, never play The Rock. And so I was playing this Grixis deck that Patrick Chapin made, and he's just like, I thought we agreed never to play The Rock. And I'm like, I'm not playing The Rock. He's just like, your deck is a bunch of two-for-ones, right? It's a bunch of creatures, medium removal, and two-for-one. That's The Rock. He's like, show me, show me how you can set up, like, you know, yeah, how many counter spells do you have in, like, four? And he's just like, show me how you can set up a counter spell. Well, I can't, right? Like, so your disruption is based on hand destruction, right? It's like, that's the rock. <laughs> you know, like, there's a medium, like, medium good removal, two for one creatures. It's literally the rock, in like a little tempo. Yeah. It's the rock. And I was like, oh, uh, I had a right, but I told Patrick I would play his deck. <laughs> so, um, well, so, yeah, so V convinced me of this. And it's probably not literally true. I bet there's probably some formats where the rock is the highest win expectation deck. But he's just like, when you make the decision to play the rock, you're unlikely, you know, putting a line in the sand that says you want to win the tournament. Especially when you're playing the Pro Tour. The Rock's so answers-driven. Um, like, if you pick the wrong answers, that your deck just doesn't do anything, right? Like, think about two different abs decks you can play in Modern right now. You can play, like, Grimflayer-based version, or you can play, like, Seed uh, Rhino-based version, or you could play, like, you know, there's a, a range of different abs decks you can like they don't even look like each other, right? Like some they still of them have like Traverse Loop and Wald and Mishra's Bobble. Yeah, they're they're really completely don't. different looking decks. You know, like the the I guess the Siege Rhino decks. I, I personally, either if I were playing Death Shadow, which I would recognize as a powerful strategy, or a Burn Player, I would not want to play against the the Siege Rhino version that has like uh, Collective Brutality. Um, you know, obviously Siege Rhino doesn't trigger. Eidolon and stuff, and then there's this other version that's just like small creatures and two for ones and like three casting cost removal. Like I just can't imagine ever losing to that deck, right? Like I just imagine like if I'm getting a double Tarmogoyf draw on a play and I win on twenty three, right? Because I mean I play tested these matchups, like there's so easy to win. Then there's this other other spectrum of the same not archetype because they're almost like different decks, like the same color combination. And even if you have a positive win expectation, like, one of them's a layup, and the other one's, like, really a struggle, right? Like, if they, like, collect brutality, your goblin guide, after drawing a card, and they gain two and kill your guy, and then make you, like, discard your best burn spell on turn, on turn two for two mana, and, like, they discard, like, lingering souls or something, that is a devastating turn, yeah. right? Like, it's an insanely devastating turn. And, like, the other version of the deck is just, like, derf, derf. Here's some things that I'm not going to do, and you're going to do damage to me. My cards are really good. Oops, I'm dead on turn five. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so he's, he, your friend had a holes not drill confusion thing, but you got him, you got him focused on holes. Right? He's punching holes. Uh, so you want to make fun of me for no long-term allegiances? Yeah, so Bring we're it. like burn players, and you're going to make some argument about how you're going to convince me that you're right. Also, we have we're running out of time because we have, we have F and M in like yeah, we have to half have to, an hour. I mean, well, I would address this very realistic concern, but we have to go to F and M where I will play Burn. <laughs> so, what seventy five is in my bag, Roman? It's mono red. Is it mono red? Yeah. So, I mean, I'll just quickly address this. Um, I, I don't think I'm a slavish Burn player. I think that if uh, the opportunity presented itself to play a deck that I thought was better than Burn, I would play it, no matter what the format was. Uh, I, this will be my fifth M that I'm going to play in the last, I would say, 40 days or something. Um, 
I happen to be playing Burn the third time. I played it once before, and I played it last weekend. Uh, but you have Approach of the Second Sun in your bag. I might switch to that deck just to spite us from, the, from this, you know, spike this. But, you know, the first three I played, I played three different archetypes. I played Approach of the Second Sun and White Bloom Monument in two of those, and I, I won both of those nights. Uh, are you talking about specifically always playing Burn in Modern? In Modern, yeah. But that, you, you want to know the absolute truth? What? I'm not lying for a right, second. Right. Uh, there were Modern PPTQs. I found out at the last minute that I could play in two Modern PPTQs. Burn was the cards I had. Okay? So I just made the best Burn deck I could. And I won. And then I just became a Burn Evangelist. And then I was just like, oh, here are some minor changes we can make based on new cards, a.k.a. Inspiring Vantage and some of the speed-based changes we made. And made literally the best burn strategy that everyone copied, right? Because it's the best one. But burn isn't the only strategy, right? It's honestly just the cards I own, right? Modern is an expensive format. Right, fair, I don't, fair enough, fair enough. I don't own all the different kinds of, like, Tarmogoyfs and Titans. So, like... I also own the cards for burn, too. Yeah, so <laughs> when you ask me, like, oh, why do you always play burn and modern? Because I only play modern, like, two months of the year maximum, and I just don't own all the cards, Right, like I only own two Path to Exile. That's why there's two Path to Exile in my deck. So I was just like, oh, I have the. I was like, oh, I have the cards to make Jeskai, because I bought, I bought these really nice Cryptic Commands and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, I actually still only own two Path to Exile, and I don't own any Celestial Colony. You can't play Jeskai without Celestial Colony. So like, I literally was thinking about playing this weekend. I'm like, oh, I think that Jeskai is really well positioned right now, and I don't own any Celestial. Colony. So. Uh, so I made a different Jeskai deck, which I will tell you for the PP to see this weekend. You will win. I own the cards for it. They're not that hard cards to get. So the hard cards to get are probably a dollar. Okay. Sweet deck. All so right. Stay tuned. Next stay week, tuned. we're going to have a Roman victory lap. Ooh, okay. All right. So stay tuned. Um, this was how to win a PT. No, this, <laughs> was, not, <laughs> this was how to think about how magic. To magic. Uh, I love this article. Yeah, it was good. Too. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Thanks for uh, listening. Thanks for listening. You know the drill. Um, you know, uh, say something nice to us on 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 Twitter uh, at Roman underscore Fusco. Say something mean to me uh, at Five with Flores. We'll just increase my follower base. Um, you know, give us a five star rating on iTunes. Uh, subscribe. Tell your friends to subscribe. Uh, and hopefully, one more at Magic. All right. Signing off. All right, get it over with. I beat Michael J. Flores at FNM. My first win ever against Mike Flores in a sanctioned match of Magic the Gathering. So we're like, oh, yeah, this episode, let's go to FNM. Just to be clear, it's probably the worst FNM of all time. So it, it starts off. First of all, I always win FNM almost every week. Just last week, I didn't win because I split in the finals, but I started off with a loss in the Red Mirror, which just doesn't happen. I also, I also lost the second Sun Mirror. <laughs> so, Rowan's playing his second Sun deck, lost the Mirror. I'm playing the Red Match, lost the Mirror. Um, I mean, won the first game. Uh, game two, we had Hazard, just flooded out, uh, you know. So then um, I beat, like, a green-white lifelink Cavs deck in round two. Yeah. He has, like... What did you beat? Oh, I beat a, a Grixis control deck. So, Roman had a super easy matchup. I had a super hard matchup. So, he's just like, let's just go. Like, we were 0-1. He was just like, let's leave FNM. And I was just like, 
and do what, right? <laughs> like, it's like, let's get hill country, you know, let's get some good barbecue or whatever. And I was just like, no, gotta, gotta play magic. He's like, you can't even get the Fatal Push promo. And I was just like, shut up Roman, <laughs> play an FNM. How could I have known? So How could I have known that this would be the worst night of my life? So what happens is, uh, Mike looks at the, the pairings for round three, and, and he goes, Roman Fusco versus Michael J. Flores. And I'm like, oh, shit. So Roman and I had been playing, quote-unquote, for fun in between rounds all night. Yeah. And it was very fun for me. <laughs> I, I lost every game. <laughs> it was not fun at all for Roman. No. And then I was like, oh, let's play sideboarding games. And I just beat him some more, right? So but I was very excited to play my mono red deck against his blue white deck. So we sit down and what do you say? You're like, I'm just going to win the die roll. I'm going to smoke you. And the dice like roll over or something. Or like they fall out of your, your case. And you're like, the dice are calling to me, Roman. They're calling to me. So he's like, you can you can roll first, Roman. I roll an eight. Then Mike rolls a five. And goes fuck. <laughs> it didn't get better from there. No, I said step one, win the die roll. <laughs> so game one was super close because Roman went first and. He had the fumigate on turn five. I stalled a little bit, but like, it's like one of those things I stalled for like one or two turns, but then quickly recovered. But stalling at all, like just not applying so much pressure after the fumigate. Um, but also like the way you ordered your, your hazard could have been better. Yeah, I, it was, so I played it specifically that way um, because like I didn't want to walk my hazard into a, into a, um, a sensor if you had it. But I was just like, if I overextend uh, this way on turn four, like, I basically just played two guys, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> they both had haste, and I was just like, I'm just going to send here, and one of two things is going to happen. Like, Roman's going to look at this and be like, this is like a super juicy fumigate board. Ha would have to tap low enough. Um, well, just a zero, right? Yeah. So I land hazard for sure. Or if he doesn't fume me, I'm just going to kill him, right? Like, I have so much power. Um, but then, you know, the the card just didn't work out, and I stalled for a little bit. And then Roman was so rich while I was stalled <laughs> that he cycled a cast out. <laughs> and I was just like, my seventh land to it. Yeah, obviously what you were doing, I was just like, oh, uh, yeah. Which is crazy. He went all the way up to 18. I got him effective down to two. At the very end. At the end. And, like, even though he got through uh, the first, second Suns, had Ipnu Rivulet and, uh, and uh, Glimmer of Genius. Um, yeah, it was like, it was weird. It was, it was this weird spot with uh, uh, Supreme Will that this didn't even counter the spell, right? But you just needed to... But I knew I, I was at like eight life. So you cast a Chandra, I cast Supreme Will, you pay the mana, and then from there on, I know there's no way you can kill me. Yeah, I... I uh, you, you, you would have had to have like, I don't know, 4.4 4, uh, points of burn damage in your hands. So yeah, you, I, I, you I had, had an on-card crasher, so I was uh, it's basically put you to one, but one's not zero. But I had I had the Supreme Will, so I could either make you pay the mana or counter your Chandra. Yeah, so, okay. there's a... Uh, Yep, yep. And then game two, what happened? Game two, uh, I mulliganed to five, 
had nothing stalled, and Roman had two authority of the councils. So he's just like, oh, look, an authority of the councils. Look, another authority of the councils. Isn't it clever how you have no lands? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, this is super effing clever, Roman. What a great game of magic. And he's like, it is a great game of magic. This is the best game ever. Like, And he's just like... But, but think about all the... All the what is it, the humiliation I've suffered over the years? Years at this point? Yeah, it is really years. years. You've years. never beaten me. Years, never even come years close. Of, hey, Roman, remember that one time I beat you in that Grand Prix trial? Hey, Roman, remember when I crushed you twice in that PPTQ? <laughs> Yeah, but those were always for buys or slots, top eights, making top eights, in top eights, in top fours, all the times I've beaten you. You beat me in the one and one bracket in (laughs) FNM. I'll take it. You got to take the victories where you can get them. I'm glad glad you're happy. I wonder if the amount of happiness you're currently espousing... It's been built up over the years. ...begins to scratch... The amount of desperate hatred that I have right now. (laughs) Uh, You know. I I don't know. Maybe this is like all the losing I'll ever have. I'm getting it out all in one night. Yeah, okay. It's it's just to not win FNM is a weird feeling for me. (laughs) Right? Like, Like I literally won the last four. Oh, well. You win some and you lose some, as Apparently, they say. that's how it works. <laughs> I didn't know that before. You have to be a little humble. I'm not a little humble, dude. I lost to Roman Fusco. <laughs> Wow. I got I, is that just that? I lost O2. I got my face smashed. So there was that one spot where I was just like, do I just sacrifice my Bowmat courier? Like Roman's at like set. He's actually like kind of low, but like he's low. But I got just I don't have any real expectation to win the game from from what what do I have? Just like an on crop crasher and a Bowmat courier. I was at like I was at like 14 life at that point. No, no, no I, I got you like with a pretty good hit. I think. Yeah. But then like you're. Just gonna cast a porch of the second song, right? So yeah. And I'm like, uh maybe I should just sacrifice my Bowmat here and discard the three Earthshaker Kenras in my hand. Because like the way the game was, if I cast the Kenras, you would just gain two and they just come into play tapped. Exactly. Like it's like horrible, right? <laughs> I'm just gonna put you to 20 or something, and then you're just gonna fumigate me. And then they're just gonna represent like three more life. Yeah. And I was just like, uh I mean, but if you're at the spot where you're debating just discarding cards from your hand because they're going to give your opponent too much life, I think that the game is probably already up. Yeah. So, just to summarize, I played Mono Red. Basically, for the first time ever, it betrayed the F out of me. <laughs> right? Like, I, how, how funny the, the student becomes the master, as think, they say. I think you got a pretty big head from, uh, from Olgina Five. What? Yeah, yeah, so. From, from you know, uh, an FNM victory at the one in one bracket, you know, against a Mulligan to Five. I'll take it. I still, I, the, the match slip says 2-0 in Roman's favor. I almost kept that first hand. The first hand was what, like, Seagate Wreckage, Seagate Wreckage, Seagate Wreckage, four red spells. But I was on I think, the draw. I think one was a Sun Scorch Desert. Oh, a Sun Scorch Desert, two Seagate Wreckage, and four red spells. Like, if I had just had, like, a mountain on top, that hand probably would have murdered you. Yeah. Right? Because like, I, I was missing second away for so long that game. That I, I had, I, that game I had. Oh, to... yeah, please tell me about not having resources. Why don't, why don't we do that? Never mind. I forgot I mulliganed both hands. 
Uh, all right. And then the second one was just a five, though. But it's all right. Get, get your wins however you want them. Anyway, if you want to get your wins, you can get I it. I will take it. It's... I know you will take it. Um, you know. I, I've just learned so much from you in the last year that I, I'm just taking it all. Everything's just like like cookie it makes sense do we like do an article about how there should be no mercy you can be friends when the match is over yeah no reason to be friends during the match not at all not a drop of friendship during no the match, i, I like, told you before the match start i want I, with every ounce of my being i want to annihilate you yeah and you did smash my face so we, let's talk about our decks for a second so <clears throat> roman played a deck that no one's ever seen before ah <laughs> uh, uh. it's funny in fact, the deck that he helped put on the map, which is Blue-White Approach to the Second Sun. Um, same 75 you played at the Grand Prix? Yeah. So, um, if New Rivulet main deck. Yeah, I cannot um, stress how, how awesome that card has been in the deck. Yeah, you used it to help beat me in uh, Durban, game one. Yeah. There have been so many close matches I've had versus Teamer that I played, where it's it's been the, the, the one card that has won me the game. Teamer seems like a great matchup in game one. Yeah, no, it's it's unlosable. Sideboard game seems not not. It's it can get tougher with it because now that they're they, they're playing the fourth fumigate after Brad's list. <coughs> the fourth fumigate? No, sorry, sorry, four negate, negate. Oh, okay, that's what I mean. Um, so it, it got a little tougher. Um, but I, I I cannot I think that that card is just so good. Like the, the package I'm playing in my deck was one scavenger grounds, two if you roulette. I don't like the scavenger grounds. I think it's like it can be important when you're playing against the scarab god in post board games. because um, you can like you can uh, But is the like, scarab god really a threat to your deck? Yeah, because there's you, there's no way of like you can still fumigate, right? But they get it back and they can just <coughs> untap with a bunch of mana and like you know, get some card advantage off it. I lost a match at the Grand Prix where I, I couldn't do anything about my opponent's Scarab God. The Scarab God. The, sorry, the Scarab God. And I, I just, he, he got more resources than I, than I did off his scries and, uh, like, reanimating his rogue refiners and stuff. Um, all right, so, so I played... I, oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to finish and say that, like, the, the Scavenger Grounds is really, really key, I think. It's good at, at also removing, like, cards like Earthshaker Counter and Scrap Hoop Scrounger. Um, the If Nervalets have some game against when you're playing the Second Sun Mirror, um, it just, like, it, it gives you a lot of reach in matchups, and it's way better than, I think, the Blight Cataracts or whatever other utility land you would be playing in that, that slot. Um, it definitely won me a lot of games versus Team where, where I could just cast it and then, you know, ne spend next turn cycling really myself and cast it again and, and winning. What do you think about um, Coastal... What not Coastal Tower? What's the name of it? Glacial Fortress? No, the... Comes into play untapped if you have two basics. Prairie Stream? Yeah, dude, what do you think about Prairie Stream? I versus... Versus what? Uh, fortified. Not fortified. Oh, Port Town? Yeah. I think Prairie... I don't know. Which one did you play? I've been playing the uh, Prairie Stream. I wonder if Port I think Town, that's better. You think so? Yeah. Like with, with Port Town, you can show irrigated farmland. Yeah, but you, like, you never even play the irrigated. But, but there are some times where, like, I guess when you're you're you want to optic a land to play your second sun, you'd rather it be a Prairie Stream. Oh my God, Port Prairie Town. Stream is so much better. In yeah, in those situations. Um, like Prairie Stream, you can just still play on turn one. Right. I think I would like to see, um, like, 1-2 to two Westvale Abbey. Why? The Grand Prix deck had that. 
Really? Alternate okay. wind condition. It's a pretty strong alternate wind condition for a deck with so much life gain. Uh, so, I sideboarded differently uh, than when we sideboarded in fun games, actually, when I sideboarded the tournament against you. He's literally, we're standing on the street corner, he's literally just looking at the photo he took of, uh, <laughs> of his I'm winning still, I'm me. still kind of high off the victory. You're, this isn't going to fade, man. You're going to, like, the next, like, three times I see you, you'll be like, remember that time I beat you in the one-on-one -on -one bracket in F&M? And then you'll probably, like, lick your finger and make a sound. <laughs> <laughs> Who's burning who, red deck? Like, that's what you're going to say. Yeah. So, um, I played a uh, mono-red deck uh, with no Chandra's defeat in my 75. Okay. <clears throat> um... 23 lands main deck, uh, four braid, four shock, two incendiary flow main deck, sideboard, two aether sphere harvester, two incendiary flow, two glory bringer, two sand strangler, three PNLR, two uh, seagate wreckage. So, like two of everything except for three PNLR, basically. Oh, two Chandra. Two Chandra. That's a kind of an unusual sideboard for me. I don't usually make sideboards like that. Um, and you, so you questioned bringing in PNLR against control? Against, like, second song. Yeah. I guess because, like, knowing that I have Linvala in my sideboard and I have the real Caracol, yeah. it can make my, my guys not block. It just seems, like, worse against authority of the consoles because your creature doesn't... I mean, I guess you're going to... So their creature doesn't have haste. If I have authority, I gain two life. I guess it's like a threat that you can pump if you like run out of resources. The way that I sideboarded in the actual tournament was different than how I sideboarded in fun games. I sided out four shock and two abrade. I actually left two abrade in. When we were sideboarding in fun games, I sided out all my shocks and all my abrades, and I only sided in six cards. Yeah. I sided in the two Seagate wreckage the two Chandra, okay. and two uh, Incendiary Flow. Mm -hmm. So, um, which is like weird, I took out two of Braids and added two Incendiary Flow. Incendiary Flow is like better if you don't have creatures, right, because it's face burn. Well, yeah, but if you have a fast start, you just like, you can just nug me for yeah. three. Like, but three damage burn spells, whether it's a Braid or Incendiary Flow, are relevant because you have Regal Caracol. Yeah. I think that, Shock is like one of the weakest cards in the matchup because, like, I mean, other than just face burning you, which is okay, right? It's not bad. It, it, you know, my deck has three within Sky Curse. But it only has two. Yeah. <clears throat> so, the thing is, like, even with your two Thraven Inspector, Shock certainly has text, but I've got, like, four Earthshaker Kenner, four Oncroft Crasher, and, like, you know, more random incidental stuff like that. Yeah. I think, like, it's just not worth respecting the Thraven Inspector. You only have two copies. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, for, you know, my side. No, I'm just that's, like, the only card that kills in my deck, right? It kills, like, a cat token, kills the Thraven Inspector. Yeah, I mean, Linvala's pretty problematic, right? Like, yeah. I have no way... Well, the other thing about the way I sideboarded is I'm bringing in Chandra anyway, so even if you're taking out burn spells, like either creature burn or face burn in the case of shock, Chandra is a better creature burn and a better face burn. Would you like consider bringing in like warrior because it can hit my my like Linvala, my Linvala, I mean, it's like it's no. but it hits my no. Linvala token and my Regal Hair Call? No, it's it's like pretty bad, I think, against Linvala. Like what am I gonna do? Attack, kill the token, and then 
Your other Linval just eats my glory bringer? I mean, you could, like, eat my Linval if I could. I mean, no, that, like, never happens. Sure. Right? Like, I'll deal four damage once, and then then you're gonna create, then you're gonna set up the fortress. Right? Like, yeah. in any way, you're just gonna beat me a second son if that's my plan. The real reason I think Glorybringer stinks in this matchup is because you have authority of the councils. Yeah. Five mana investment to give you one life and not even attack is horrible. Like, that's so bad. Like, I only have two Glorybringers and you have four authority of the councils. Yeah. <clears throat> Mine costs five, yours costs one. Like, my, my strategy was to bring in Chandra's, which are card advantage, Face burn and Seagate wreckage, and like kind of go with the have all my cards are cheap, um, draw two cards a turn plan. Yeah. Which, you know, has worked for me in other contexts. But, you know, you easily crushed me. It's one of the worst defeats of my entire magic career. Yeah. Like all those I, times. You, you during- will never forget it. <laughs> I would guess I will never forget it, and that if I ever try, you will make sure I never forget no, it. I will make sure you never forget it. You'll be like, oh, do you remember when you had the unlosable matchup, I, like mono red versus blue white? Such a good matchup for you. I can't stress how much like berating you've done to me over the years of like, whenever like you feel I don't know, whenever you feel like defeated about something, you're like, hey Roman, <laughs> come here. Remember that time I beat you at that Grand Prix trial at like midnight? It was, was like four in the morning. Four, yeah, okay, it was like four in the morning. Remember that one time I beat you twice in the PPTQ? That was pretty fun, right? I call it justice. There is justice in this world. I just think that your bar for justice must be pretty low, considering <laughs> the number of your mom jokes that I've been lobbing at you for the last three years. That you're like, one, one FNM victory in the one-in-one bracket is enough for It's you. just the start, though. Yeah? Yeah. Do you think this is, this is like the Trump presidency? This is just... <laughs> I've just run for office. <laughs> like, nothing good will ever come for me again. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. All right. Roman uh, Fusco. Like, you know, solidly the... Solid 2-1 the, performance. The, the sixth best player at FNM tonight. <laughs> sixth What? Well, no, what was your... What position did you finish? I don't know. They Not top four. You didn't get the promo. That's true. Look, maximum position is five. You lost in the first round. This is true. Your second round opponent lost. Your third round opponent lost. You're probably like ninth. It's a pretty big FNM. That's true. There's no but, way you're... But, but in the end, all that matters is that uh, I signed a matchup that said 2-0 Roman Fusco versus I also signed that match slip, and everyone can see it. Yeah. It's out I, there. I brought it's on the home. Internet. I'm going to frame it. Yeah? It's in my <laughs> pocket. So, the nice people at Monacy did not want to let Roman walk away with the match slip, because I guess they need to keep those for like record-keeping. Record. Yeah. And, uh, but they made an exception because he was so happy. And, like, the one dude at the counter said, don't you always win? And I'm like... Not the time. Yeah, brother. I showed like, him the not the time. Like, Why do you want to keep this? It's like, oh, you beat Michael. <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> of course I did. Yeah, man. I think maybe you've broken my love of FNM. <laughs> I think that might be it. <laughs> I think I think we're not gonna have any excellent FNMs right, anymore. Right. Uh, off the bragging. 
because we still have a little ways to walk before we reach oh, so, the movie theater. All right, so what we did after what we decided to do after this was instead of getting nice barbecue, which is what Roman wanted to do, I said, oh, well, we were still at the table when I said this. I said, if you beat me, if you beat me, we're eating McDonald's. <laughs> And Roman's just like, sure, dude. And then so he wins, and he's just like, all right, let's go. And I'm like, no, McDonald's. Disgusting. And then I'm like, I am dragging you down into the dirt with me. <laughs> so we had Mickey D's. And let me tell you something. I ordered mustard, and I looked at the ingredients. There's more sugar in the mustard than there is mustard in the mustard. <laughs> mustard is like the fourth ingredient in the mustard at Mickey D's. I ate, I ate some. I feel horrible that I did now. Okay. Yeah. That feel great. Just for the record, right? But now we're, we're walking, I don't know, 30-odd blocks to uh, go see Ingrid Goes West. So Roman wanted to see, what's like the snow movie you wanted to see? Uh, Wind River with, <coughs> with Jeremy. Jeremy Renner. So that movie has one Marvel superhero in it. Yeah. Ingrid Goes West has both the Scarlet Witch and uh, Aubrey Plaza from Legion. So we chose based on who had the most Marvel superheroes. I, I, I'm excited to see Ingrid Goes West. I met Aubrey <coughs> Plaza back when I was in the eighth grade uh, because her cousin went to my school. And we had a film festival. Like every year, we had like a like the eighth grade film festival or whatever. And so she came. So before she was like a big, big star. So I have a picture back at my house of me and Aubrey Plaza. But so she was a random girl. Yeah, she was, well, she she was in the industry, right? But my teacher was like, oh, she's gonna be like big one day or something, right? That's she's before. great. Yeah, and she's shockingly beautiful. They don't really, they don't really ever cast her as beautiful, which is weird, you know? She's very beautiful. Yeah. So there, I have this awkward picture of me with like an anime t-shirt back in the eighth grade. Wow, there's an like, awkward picture of you? Ha! Couldn't and believe that. My hair was like a little greasy. <laughs> and then she signed, she gave me an autograph too, and she wrote, Roman, uh, I like your name, dude, with a little heart. With a heart? With a heart. Oh my god. So Roman, after defeating Michael J, is now trying to assume Michael J's role in the world. Just telling name drop stories. <laughs> He's like, oh, well, <laughs> let me tell you about this name drop story. That's my job, Roman. Jeez, I'm crow. How, how soon the, the, the student becomes the master, the teacher, I guess. Yeah. How uh, soon is that exactly? Soon enough. <sighs> oh, uh, my God. We're walking by Shake Shack. We could have had Shake Shack instead of McDonald's. Yeah, whose fault is that? Mine. I dragged you into the mud with me where you belong. What else should we talk about? So we kind of have a ten box to go. Um, All right, Ixalan standard. Let's let's go into that. All right. Uh, no, 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 no. PPTQ deck for Sunday. Okay. Modern. Here's the here's the list. Write this down, kiddos. Modern. I I brewed this in the shower this morning. <laughs> All right, because that's what I was thinking. I'm like, man, Storm Chaser Mage seems gas. All right, so. Goblin Guy, Monastery Swift Spear, Storm Chaser Mage, Snapcaster Mage, Abbot of Carol Keep. All the prowesses, all the doubles. Well, Goblin.
Goblin guy doesn't really prowess or for a two for one, yeah. but he's he's gas. And then the spells are uh, lightning bolt, lightning helix, uh, Boros charm. Roman wants lava spike. Are we going lava spike, Roman? I like doing three. Okay. <clears throat> oh, we could play serum visions, I guess. What? We could play serum visions, I guess, but maybe serum visions. I guess like sorcery speed. We can't flash lava spike at instant speed. But a big spell in this deck is... Vapor Snag. Vapor Snag. Four Vapor Snag. Because we have like eight Snapcaster Mages. One of them has Prowess. So so you can like... What was the trick you said? You, you, they attack with two guys or something. You can just like... Vapor Snag one. Block snap, the other. Snapcaster. Snapcaster block. Vapor Snag or Snapcaster Mage. Yeah. That's a four mana play. But that's, yeah. like, doable, right? And then 20 lands. Um, the thing that I really like about this deck is you can play four Inspiring Vantage and four... What's the blue-red? Spire red? Bluff Canal. Spire Bluff Canal. That seems insanely powerful to me. And then play, like... Do you think six fetch lands, six targets? I'm not sure what the right number... Like, I want to do eight fetch lands, four targets. Do you think eight fetch lands, four targets is a doable scenario? But like, so which, like in the burn decks we played, we played twelve fetches, four targets, right? Well, no, twelve fetches. What do we have? Uh, in like our, our original burn list, we had four fet, four red fetch. Do we only have four targets? Yeah, twelve we fetches, had four, two mountain, two sacred foundry. That's it. Yes. Yeah, we could easily go eight fetches, four targets then. Exactly. So what are we gonna go? A mountain, a, a blue red, a white blue, and a. And a blue, and a blue white. Blue, blue white. We can do that. Play a, play one of these shock and then one one mountain. <clears throat> so we have, we have more red red cards. But you can only basically get. Uh, you can only basically get untapped one red, right? Yeah. Really, we went. 12 fetches, 4 targets? That that was yes. co-signed by me? Yes! Weren't you like, Michael J, you're a maniac? I think it, when I, the regionals that I played had, had, you five, had a, 5 sources. Yeah, yeah, because you played a, a red-green and you played one fewer inspiring advantage. Yes. Which is wrong. Yes, it was. <laughs> so, um... But yeah, but yeah. we're playing eight inspiring advantages on this one. I think this will be pretty powerful. So you think one red... Well, you don't think, like... A blue, what if this? One blue red, one red white, one island, one mountain. You do that. And then uh, the fetches are, we're going to be eight fetches. Four red blue, four red white. Yeah, I like that. All right. One mountain, one island. One red blue, one red white. No white blue. No, no holothon. <laughs> Is that right? So what's our what's our uh, sideboard looking like? Um, the really the reason I think this deck's so excited is you could play the blue blue guy. That's a two two. The taps a red or a green guy when he comes into play. That seems awesome to me. Like you could like lock down Tarmogoyf with that. Um, yeah, and it's like awesome against the red decks. If you look like that guy and and core firewalker, just like crush the red decks on the two twos. Do you think about the card, similar card, Har Harbinger of the Tides? 
That guy bounces a guy, right? It bounces it if it's tapped, and then you can pay four mana to give it flash to do the same effect. It seems pretty not powerful to me. Not as powerful as the as Tidewinder Reaction? Yeah. Tidewinder is, is, is blue or blue or green, or sorry, red or green. Red or green, yeah. So, um, I mean, I don't know, we could play like, I don't know if that's too low power of a card, Tidewinder Mage. It just seems exciting to me. We could easily play, uh, you probably want to play Kataki. Or some equivalent of you don't you don't like, like, like stony silence? You want you like stony silence? I like stony silence. What about graveyard? Kataki can we get galvanic blasted? Mm. Graveyard hate play rest in peace. We simply play hate cards. I mean, yeah, our hate cards trigger prowess. Ooh, kind of like that. Ceremonious rejection. I think Ceremonious Rejection is a great card. It's a we never have four power, right? So Stubborn Denial isn't playable. Um, I don't know. I'm sure you'll have four power sometimes. Yeah, but how often? Like, it's not worth it to play Stubborn Denial. Oh, I agree. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't know, spell Pierce. I think Spell Pierce. Dispel maybe. I think I think I like. Dis well, spell Pierce and Dispel are both good against red. Um, I think that I would want to have a really solid idea about what I was siding in against. Death Shadow decks. Definitely, I want Path to Exile then, right? Because we, we can snap, we can we can flashback path. Uh, like two or cause, four. Because those decks only have like what? Ten threats, twelve threats. What about like four Path to Exile, four Decoration in Stone? Decoration's a sorcery. I, I think that's too many Exile effects. But you're gonna, you already have four. Four Vapor Snag. I think four, four Snag, four Path is enough. All right. We, we save the other sideboard, the sideboard slots for other other decks. All right, so we want, like, anti-combo, right? We're going to go with, Do like, we? Like, what against what? Against, like, Storm? Yeah, I mean, our, our deck wins, like, turn four. We still have a lot of... We can, we can kill all their, their, their guys, right? Like, we, we, have, we, have, we have enough burn to deal with, like, their Goblin Electromancers and, like, Vapor Snags for... I think you might want to just sideboard, like, Forked Bull. But you, you need a card that can kill Baral. We have Lightning Bolt. We have Helix in our deck, right? Yeah. We have Lightning Bolt. We have Helix. We have Path Exile on our board. Yeah. And I guess and, we have Vapor Snag. Yeah, and then our board we have we have like some combo of like Spell Pierce to Spell type effects. I could see that. I, li I like the one mana cantrip or one, one mana sorry one mana uh, instance you're able to trigger prowess and like be be as mana efficient as possible with this deck. So all our creatures are cost one or two. It's BS that they rotated treasure crews. Treasure crews would be are fantastic in this deck. Yeah, you think? Yeah, <laughs> be very good in this Probably deck. Be pretty blessed. Um, what about gutshot? Gutshot prowess. Play blue jack. What about Geist of St. Traft? In the sideboard, I guess? When do you bring this card in? I don't know. <laughs> None of our cards' main deck costs more than two. Or 20-20. I love the main deck strategy. It seems awesome to me. Yeah? Yeah. Um, it's weird we have so many colors and, and not sure what's a sideboard. Uh, you think Core Firewalker? I think we're behind against Real Red in game one. Yeah, I think we don't want Core Firewalker. We'd rather have, like, Spell Pierce and stuff. Right? Like, don't how, don't you our... want, like, a hammer blow for them? Like, like a card that's really going to take you over the top? We have, I mean, Tywinder is pretty sweet. 
But yeah. like, that's good. I guess they have Syrian though against us. I think. I think well, they're the, definitely gonna have all their like your like yeah. die burn spells. They have, like, here's my problem with Tidebinder Mage, right? It dies. Like, it just dies to everything. It dies to Syrian. And like, what matchups besides Rudder Reborn that card didn't? Like, you think it's too weak of a card against Tarmogoyf decks anyway? The thing is, like, for, for Modern, I don't expect too many people to be playing Tarmogoyf decks to begin with. Yeah. Uh, I think that card's gone down a lot in popularity recently. Because people, uh, people don't play the traditional, like, Jund and Abzan decks that much anymore. Um, if you see Tarmogoyf, it's, like, in a Death Shadows deck usually, right? What about, like, Roast? Is that card too weak? Kills Gurmag Angler. That's like standard, but back in like Dragons of Tarkir standard. Um, I like I like Electros. Uh, oh, uh, the, uh, the is it Staticaster? Yeah, is it Staticaster? I like that guy. That guy's good. Like, what decks do you want that card in against? Affinity, Black White Tokens. The thing is, like, are you really gonna include cards in your sideboard for like very small? Like, like matchups here, you're not likely to see. I don't think it's strong enough against Affinity. Like, like if it's it's not so fast, right? Like, if they have Overseer online before you have it, it's just irrelevant. So, like, if I go into this tournament, here are the decks I'm, I'm going to see the most of, right? Eldrazi Tron, Tron, like, Tron variants, mostly Eldrazi, Eldrazi Tron, Death Shadow, Affinity, and, like, maybe Jeskai Control deck. All right, so you want... Ceremonious Rejection. Yeah, I want that card. I want... Some kind of Spell Pierce. Or like this Spell type card. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what's good against Death how, Shadow. How good is Spell Snare? Spell Snare is very good with Snapcaster Mage. The thing is, like, I'm not... The card's, like, pretty, pretty decent versus I'm not card. as big of a fan of Permission Spells, because they're so bad with... Like, they're not proactive for your for uh, your sure. uh, prowess guys, and they're really bad with Abbott. Oh, <clears throat> uh, sure. So, I'd r much rather, like... I mean, I think that having some is good, but if you have, like, eight in your sideboard or something, it's no, just too it much. Was, it's going to screw I, I up think, your prowess. I think at most we have, like, four spell pierce. I think you want to have, like, a much. mix it up, right? Sure, yeah. Well, aren't you going to play, like, a bunch of ceremonious rejections? Well, yeah, but rejection is only good in one... Well, so here's the thing. Would I rather play Ceremonious Rejection on my sideboard or play, like, Stony Silence? Well, Rejection... Mix of both, right? Counters it counters a... Well, yeah. Counters, it counters like, like a draw Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, against that deck, it's still, like... Stony Silence still counters, like, their... Like, their map ability, their hanger back walker activations. They can't equip their Basilisk Collar. I think you want to have some Smash to Smithereens type effects. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Or, I mean, like two Smash to Smithereens, maybe? I mean, we can cast a Wear and Tear in this deck. Yeah. If you, if you want to go that direction. Um, like, one card that I think could be really good against our deck is, like, uh, Chalice, right? So a lot of our cards cost like one or two. Yeah. So like a chalice, I mean, they, yeah. they can just like shut down a big portion of our deck if they resolve it. So maybe like a wear and tear. Or we have a mix of wear and tear, smash smithereens. Well, how are you going to resolve the wear and tear? Like well, if they okay, have it so, like... So, so like, I, I'm saying like we can have a mix of like one wear and tear, two smash smithereens. Board all of those in in the same matchup. Okay. And then, you know, you. Have, have some flexibility there. So if they chalice on two, we can wear the chalice on one, which will probably happen the most. We can, uh, what do you smash. think about siding Eidolon? Siding Eidolon? 
Yeah. I don't know, man. What do you think about taking four like, randomly selected good cards from the main deck and replacing them with Shrine of Burning Rage? Uh, yeah, I agree. That's terrible. That's really bad. Um, I mean, it's a grand, grand cooling tech right there. Um, I don't know. So... Eldrazi, I think, like, just Path is good against them. Yeah. Ceremonial Ejection would be good against them. How good is Stony Silence? Like, not super I would relevant. not bring that in against okay. Eldrazi Tron. So maybe we don't want Stony Silence, so we've got to just have Smash with their Because Smash is still good, good versus them, right? Oh, especially you have some Ceremonious Rejections, too, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, they're going to be good. So we have, we have, like, a mix of spells can bring against, against that matchup. So I think our sideboard needs to look something like... I like ones and two of in this kind of side. Yeah. Like, not straight four ofs. Like, I don't think we'd play the tiebreaker. I mean, we play like a mix of ceremonious rejection, um, path to exile, wear and tear, smash the smithereens, maybe rest in peace. Um, or, oh, maybe, maybe uh, like Relic of Progenitus? I like Relic of Progenitus way better. Because it's, it's, it, it's better with your prowess theme, I think. Yeah. It's bad with your... But like Rust in Peace is really bad with Snapcaster Mage, right? Yes. At least the Relic draws to a card. No, no. no. Uh, Rest in Peace. Oh, sorry. Well, sorry. Yeah, it's really uh, bad with uh, yeah, Snapcaster right. Mage, right? Yeah, it, yeah, you can't. I think Relic Regenus you can play around. It's okay. Yeah. Also, you, it's a card you can just make a proactive play with for prowess with, like, very low mana. All right, well, uh, we're almost at the movie theater. Great job defeating me tonight at FNM, and good luck on Sunday. All right, thanks, Michael J.